You're listening to Artistic Finance Show 112. On today's show, we are revisiting one of my favorite episodes from the past in what we're calling an Artistic Finance Rewind. I'm starting to share some of my past episodes for a few reasons. One, we get new listeners each week, so the new listeners might not have heard this one before. Two, even if you've been listening for a while, you may have missed this episode when it originally aired. And three, even if you have heard this episode before, you might learn something new. If you watch this on YouTube, the audio does not sync up to the video. So when we originally launched this episode, I wasn't publishing on YouTube. So you'll get an idea of how we interviewed, but don't go crazy trying to match the audio to the video. All right, that's all I have for the new intro. Everything going forward will be from the original show. Welcome to the Artistic Finance Podcast, where we break down the wall between art and money. If you're here looking for how to be an artist and financially sustain a career, you're in the right place. Keep listening and join us as we learn about artists and how they make money work for them. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Ethan Steimel, here for episode 35. Thank you for being here, and a special thank you to my Patreon patrons, who get the shows early and with extra content. If you want to support me and the show, please do at patreon.com slash artisticfinance. And if you aren't ready to become a patron, you can help me by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. I'm currently at 73 YouTube subscribers. A mere 59 million behind my competitor, the artist known as Justin Bieber. But you are who I care about, and you have the power to take artistic finance from 73 to 74. We packed a lot into today's episode, so let's jump right in and meet today's guest, sound engineer Brandon Blackwell. He mixed monitors for Shaka Khan and Jennifer Hudson when he was the head audio engineer for Chu Entertainment. He has since mixed for some of today's biggest artists, such as Sierra, Nicki Minaj, Camila Cabello, Aesop Rocky, and Lizzo. When he is not touring, Brandon is based out of Seattle and consults with bands and venues around the country to connect them to engineers with his company, Blackwell Productions. During the COVID pandemic, when live events were shut down, Brandon did what any self-respecting sound engineer would do. He became a day trader. Yes, you heard me right, a day trader, as in buying and selling stocks. We go into depth on that topic. There are links to everything we talk about in the show notes and on our website, artisticfinance.com. And if you enjoy this chat with Brandon... Be sure to check out the rest of our conversation over at patreon.com slash artistic finance. We talk about Twitch, Black Lives Matter, and what Brandon is doing to make sure that the next generation of audio engineers has role models like him. Without further ado, let's get to our interview. Welcome, Brandon Blackwell, to the podcast. Thank you for having me. And just so everybody knows, we're recording this on December 14th, 2020. So we're amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. And then we're also amidst uh, Black Lives Matter reawakening across the world. Could you give us just a recap of how you got into being a sound engineer and where you are in your current career? When I was, I want to say maybe seven or eight, music was just my passion. I grew up with old soul parents, and I spent a lot of time with my grandparents and my great-grandparents. So we listened to a lot of Tina Turner, Marvin Gaye. So just music, all that old school music was just what I listened to. Music just became my thing, but I never knew exactly what I wanted to do with it. So when I was in elementary school, I played the clarinet. Um, I could sing a little bit. I just knew that that wasn't it. And so I started to look at recording and behind the scenes. I was going to a church. I think at this point I was maybe nine or 10. I just happened to look at the soundboard. It just amazed me. And looking back on it now, it was nothing special. You know, it, it was not none of the big gear that, that I use on tour now. For me at age nine, it was like all these faders, all these buttons. I asked my mom, I was like, do you think I can go talk to the, the person that was operating? She was like, okay, you know, you know how a mom, like you're a child and you're going to talk to an adult that's kind of in a a very important position. And she just said, you know, go over, ask. I asked him, you know, could I shadow him? And 
I picked it up really quickly. I, I didn't know the, the the details of it. I didn't know what EQ was, but I knew if I turned this knob, it sounded thinner. If I turned this knob, it sounded more low end. So I kind of like started putting one and two together. And as the years from like maybe 10 to 13, I just started picking stuff up faster and faster. And we had a system integrator come into the church to update it. And he just took me under his wing again. You know, a different person took me under their wing and I learned even more. He told me about this school called Full Sail. It's a trade school down in uh, Winter Park, Florida, suburb of Orlando. And basically they give degrees and you can focus in anything from recording music, graphic design, film. And for me, it was show production and touring. When I saw that, I was like, whoa, this is it. And so I told my parents, you know, I want to go to Full Sail, uh, you know, 1800 miles away. They're like, no, you're not going to Full Sail. <laughs> and I was like, uh... Okay. I mean, it was, you know, rightfully so. I graduated high school at 17. I was not a great student at all because uh, none of that stuff interests me. And for them to take that uh, that risk on a child that's not doing too well, I would, you know, I'd be a little concerned too. So <laughs> I ended up not going to full sale at 18. Um, and then I went to community college that had a recording program. It was cool, but it wasn't, it wasn't it. And I was like, I don't, I don't know what it is. You know, the, the whole start, stop, start, stop. That didn't click to me. I had two more semesters left. I, I went to my mom and I just said, hey, like, it's time. I need to do this. She could see that passion. My dad as well, but my mom is, you know, she's my, she's my major support system. She bought me a ticket down to go visit the school. We signed up for all the paperwork and lo and behold, I started at Full Sail. Uh, they say that when you go to the school, you can only get two, or, two out of the three on a pyramid. It's uh, a social life, sleep, and good grades. And I chose uh, social life and good grades and I partied hard, but I would still pull an A plus on uh, midterms and, and tests because it was just something that I was passionate about. You know, it, it, and that thing, it just came to me easily. You know, I would watch other students that wouldn't grasp things as quickly. And I'm wondering, I'm sitting there wondering myself, why is it coming to me as quickly? And looking back on it now, is just something that it was meant for me. All my eggs were in that basket. My time at Full Sail came to an end. And unfortunately, I didn't get the dream job that I wanted. I ended up coming home with no job and started freelancing in New York City. And it was nothing, it was nothing great. You know, it was very, as we would say, combat war. Stuff out in a park, a couple of speakers and some microphones. Not great, but, you know, it was at least something I was doing. Somehow, my mom's boss meets the musical director of American Idol. At that point, I didn't know what a musical director was. American Idol is uh, television, so it, it doesn't matter to me, you know, young and stupid. But she, she brings it up. It goes in one ear and right out the other. We're watching a show. I don't know if it's like the Grammys or something. And Alicia Keys says, you know, she's given her speech. She won the award. And then she says, I want to thank uh, Ray Chu, who is the musical director. And I'm like, whoa, I love Alicia Keys music. She works with Ray Chu, they know each other. Okay, how can I turn this into something? And so then I asked my mom to set up a meeting. I went and met him and his wife and we talked for hours. At the end of the conversation, he was like, um, hey, I don't know what you're doing tomorrow, which was Saturday, but I have this gig in upstate New York. I think you may be interested. It's uh, Robert De Niro's birthday, 60th birthday or 70th birthday. And my band and I are playing. Would you like to come join? He was like, I probably couldn't pay you, but, you know, it's maybe something you would like. And so I called my buddy that I was my mentor that I was working for. I told him, I was like, hey, man, I kind of got this opportunity. Do you think, you know, you can find somebody to cover me? He said, absolutely. This, you know, he basically backed me that this was an amazing opportunity, put you in a different level, may not have ever gotten any other time. I, I went and did it as my first, like, big a-list gig. I, I didn't mix it all. You know, I was handing out uh, towels and water and, and sheet music to the musicians, not anything I went to school for. But to be in that space was like, whoa, you know, I, I look to the left, I see Samuel Jackson walk past me. I look to the right, Lenny Kravitz walking to play the guitar. I'm like, this is nuts. Leonardo DiCaprio flies in on his private helicopter and lands. And I'm like, yo, this is, this is real. You know, this, this can turn into something. From there on, Ray, he saw me that I could mix after a gig that we had done that, unfortunately, the sound engineer wasn't doing that great. And, you know, at that time, I was a little bit more cockier and overzealous, I guess it would be the word. But I went out and I was like, hey, you know, like, I can do this. And he was like, oh, yeah. And he said, you know, the next show, the next show you're going to mix. And the next show ended up being this corporate event for TV One, like their divas uh, was a television show. And so it was Angie Stone, 
Shaka Khan, Patti LaBelle, or, or someone else, but like these major divas and I'm mixing monitors for them. I'm scared as, as day because, you know, I'm used to mixing like little local bands in Florida and this is like a real band, real artists. And I made it through it. And that was when I was like, you can do this. This is something that you can do. And that's when I started to focus on mixing monitors building relationships with the artists and building relationship with musical directors. And then that kind of just took on from there. Every gig we did, I, I kept in touch with, for those gigs, you know, a lot of those artists didn't bring their engineers. So I kept in touch with a lot of their managers or, you know, their handlers. And those gigs led into me mixing monitors for Neo for a little bit, which then led me to go on my first tour with TLC because the production was represented by the same person. And it just like, it was a snowball effect, you know, it was, I always thought I was going to be hanging speakers in the air for years and then eventually fall into a mixing role. But this came within, it had to be within six months of graduating school. And it started to click to me, like, you know, don't look at someone else's journey. That made me start to think differently about not just my career, but how to help others as well in this industry and bring them along um, that may not be able to get these opportunities as quickly as I did. What happened with me is not going to happen for everyone. We all hope it does. But again, we all have different journeys. And, you know, I'm thankful and blessed for mine. That is an amazing story. I have so many questions to clarify here. One question, which is, what was your last gig before COVID? Yeah, so before COVID, I was mixing Lizzo in the Grammys. And then we went and did two shows at Super Bowl weekend down in Miami. During COVID, I went and mixed and recorded um, uh, a couple of streams for an artist by the name of Summer Walker. And then I also do uh, ASAP Rocky as well. That's my big, uh, big client. That's your big client. Lizzo's not your big client. (laughs) Well, Lizzo is not, yeah. I've just been with him. Yeah, longer. yeah, that's, that's amazing. We had somebody on the podcast, a lighting designer in LA named Ebony Madry. Okay. Lizzo was like her music. I'll have to connect you guys. Be like, yeah. be like this guy, he's going to get you into the concert. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so going back through your story, these are all just little things that I'm curious about. So your church, what was the scale of this church? Like a giant mega church or like 25 people? If I could say numbers, it was probably maybe... 400 to 500 people. So I just know when I go to a Broadway show, I see a soundboard and it's like six feet long or eight feet long. Like how many faders was on this church soundboard that you started? So this was an analog console. It was a Mackie 24 input. I want to say either four output and four matrix or 24 input, eight output and four matrix. But it was nothing... It was nothing spectacular by any means, you know, it was. Okay. It's nothing spectacular, but to me that knows nothing, I just heard like 24 input or output. That sounds like a lot of faders. <laughs> no, that's, but, but see, that's not, that's like on a normal tour that we do nowadays. Like when I used to mix Camila Cabello, we're talking about north of 60 inputs. So 24 to 60, it's, it's nothing, <laughs> you know, um, when I did the bad boys tour, we had well over a hundred inputs. And then you start adding in like your reverbs and delays and all that stuff. You're, you're looking at over 130 inputs, but from the stage, it was a hundred inputs, physical XLR cables or microphones or DIs. Ooh, all right. Well, <laughs> it's not that bad anymore. For, for this podcast, I have to record one mic and I bought a little box and it's a one input right. and I still don't even know how to work it, you know? <laughs> Okay, so two more questions regarding your your career story. So you said you didn't get good grades in high school, but then when you went to full sale, you got good grades. I'm just I'm just pointing that out because that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> my parent my parents <laughs> thought the same thing. <laughs> Certain people, I mean especially in the entertainment field and especially in the arts field, people are wired different than mathematicians. I feel like I don't run into that a lot where people didn't do so well in high school and then turn it around. But like you said, you were passionate about it. It came to you. You liked it. You understood it. That's awesome. Yeah, man. (laughs) Um, Okay. And then last thing, Robert De Niro's 70th birthday party. I was like, there's no way he's that old. So I looked him up while you were talking. He is 77 years old. He sure, he sure got down. He didn't look old at 70. So (laughs) that's amazing. Yeah. I thought, cause you were like 60, no 70. And I was like, no, definitely 60. He's in his sixties. Holy cow. (laughs) So now my favorite question to ask, could you describe your demographics? So uh, South Orange, New Jersey is where I grew up. Um, I'm here now visiting my parents before the holidays. And then I go back to Seattle, uh, where my fiance is. We've been living there since March. 30 years old, African-American, 
college graduate. <laughs> I guess that's what's my other, and a male. Yeah, 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 yeah <laughs> male. <demographic>. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Now for us to get to know your creative personality, what is a live event that you like to experience as an audience member? I love a good like convention, like a car show or or like an audio show. I don't know. It's like the this the mass collection of people that are just interested in, in one one topic. I mean, car is very massive as a topic, but it's really cool to see that many people interested in things like that or um, car meetups or stuff like that. You know, like it's. It's a cool little event. Yeah. Oh, that's that's such a good answer. I love that. Because I feel like a lot of time people like why people like theater or something, they go and everybody is like excited about the show right. or sporting events. Or a sporting event. Yeah. Everybody is there with something on their mind. But a convention, it's the same thing, except you can interact with people. Exactly. What is a piece of art that you like? Architectural art. I was in Bilbao, Spain, and the Guggenheim is there. And like just a beautiful, beautiful building. Also, like photography, that type of art is really cool. That kind of old school, you know, how people use different colors, color temperatures to, to switch the mood. That type of art is really like, can pull you in it. And then like people who act. I love a good actor as art. You know, I think it's so, so dope, actually. Um, Entourage. I don't know if you ever saw it on HBO. The fact that an actor is playing an actor, playing an actor is really cool because it's like, it's, it's a triple threat. You know what I mean? And I think that is as, as an art form, I think that is so dope to me. You know, I wish I had that talent. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> that reminds me of a line from singing in the rain. There's a, there's an actress that they all want to replace. And they say, she's a triple threat. She can't act. She can't sing. She can't dance. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I love that you said that Guggenheim Bilbao. I've never been there, but I would love to go see that building. Yeah, I think that's a Frank Gehry sculpture or building. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's beautiful. Okay, on the days that you wake up and you don't want to get out of bed, what keeps you going to go mix some sound? Just the the, the, the sight of when doors open and all those fans walk in. That for me was was enough, you know? Besides the make, you know, traveling the world for free or getting paid to travel the world and getting paid good money, to see people's genuine happiness. Like, you know, people could be having the worst day at work that day they could have got yelled at at their boss but they come and see their favorite artist it totally changes their mentality just to have a small part in this because it's such a big team that we all play really small parts in it to be a small part of it means a lot to me i look at reviews of shows not because i'm afraid that it sounded bad at a certain place because that's going to happen sometimes it just is what it is but i want to make sure that people are happy you know I love I love going on Instagram when I when I was with Lizzo or when I was with ASAP Rocky and just putting in that hashtag and seeing people's perspective at different places in the show. And that was that was it for me. That that makes me happy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. so what music do you listen to when we're working? I listen to just strictly podcasts because music is just it, it gets in your head and it just stays there. But now that I've been home, I've been listening to a lot of uh, Snow Allegra. I think her last album is amazing. Uh, Taylor Parks, who is an amazing songwriter. Uh, she's done like um, Ariana Grande's last album, like dope songwriter. She put out an album and I think it's phenomenal. I, I wish it was a little bit longer. A couple of her songs, I'm like, why didn't you keep going? You know what I mean? Like, I need more, more of this song. Okay, so we got to know your creative personality. Now, your financial personality. Are you good or bad with money? I'm good with money. Yeah. This pandemic, I had a, a ton of money saved. I was just always that way. When I first started touring and I was making good money, you know, we go into a city, I had to go find a, a sneaker store on my time off. And I'd leave for tour with two pairs of sneakers and come home with 10 pairs of sneakers. And it got to the point where I was like, this is just, you only got two feet, man. What, what are you doing? And then, and then the thing is, you're never really home to wear them. So what's the point of wasting money in it? The other thing was I love good food. I'm a bigger dude and I love fine food. This pandemic has showed me that I wasted, not a wasted, it was an experience, but I wasted a lot of money on food. For me, it was worth it. You know, when am I going to get back to these places? When am I going to do this? But overall with money, I'm pretty, I'm pretty good with it. My fiance would say I'm very frugal, but it's helped me along the way. So <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Growing up, did you have good financial examples? Yeah. So out of my mom and my dad, my mom was the more crack the whip, financial savvy, you know, save, 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 no credit cards, that type of stuff. My dad, you know, we're guys, we're a little bit slower than the women are. But 
as a whole, out of the both of them, I saw that, you know, you can save money, you know, and then when you want to splurge on something that you really want and you've worked hard for it, you should treat yourself because at the end of the day, you can't take the money to the grave. I got that good balance of, you know, hey, I, I want this video game, but I know I got to work this hard for this video game. So, you know, I, I had a really good balance of it as a child. At the start of your career, so I guess when you got out of Full Sail, what was your financial picture at that point? I didn't know what a 1099 worker was. I didn't know that taxes didn't come out of your, your paycheck. And so that first year, I had to write a pretty decent check. So you graduated in May, and then you worked for six, seven months getting 1099 income, and you didn't realize that you had to pay some of that back. I had no idea. I was just like, oh, man, I'm making this money. The government's not asking for nothing. Okay, cool. <laughs> but what's weird, is, what's weird is I worked for Staples before, and I knew that money came out. But, but, but I want to say that Staples pays you on a W-2 on W two income, so they are already taking the taxes out for you. And I never put one and two together. I was just like, ah, it's just money. Oh, my gosh. I hope that college-age or high school-age people listen to this podcast because then they can just avoid that. That is crazy to me that you got through community college, you got through trade school, and you didn't know that 1099 income. No idea. (laughs) No idea at all. (laughs) I wish I did. I mean, you know, I would have had a little bit more safe money. You know, and I'm I'm laughing just because it's such a foreign, like, I feel like everybody in the entertainment industry has gotten paid on 1099s, and everybody knows that they have to pay their own taxes at the end of the year or quarterly if they're really on top of it. And so that's why I'm laughing so much, because it's, it's such an obvious thing to both of us now, now but when you're 21 years old out of college it's like i don't know <laughs> i just got money <laughs> that's fantastic do you have any debts or throughout your life have you had any big debts right now it's just student loan some credit card debt but nothing nothing too crazy how much was your student debt how much more do you have to pay and then uh how much credit card debt if you want but you don't have to yeah i think credit card debt maybe like 5k i, I play the game where I, you know, I put stuff on my credit card that I pay off immediately so I can get the points for it. Like my, my rent, my rent is on it. So that's the only reason why it's that much money. By next month, it'll be back to a balance of zero dollars. Um, okay. I don't count that as debt. It's not real debt. Uh, car loan. And then the other would just be my student loans, which is uh, between my mom and I, because she, she helped me with a lot of it. It's probably about, I think I had maybe like 10K left on mine. And I think she has maybe north of 40. Is that debt from community college and full sale or is it just full sale? That's just full sale. That, that's that's the, the tuition plus uh, living expenses while I was down there. I, I don't know if she looked at it this way, but the whole idea was that the focus didn't have to be on anything else besides what I'm there for. You know, I didn't have to go. I was very blessed to have her because I didn't have to go work a, uh, you know, a, a job during school or work on campus. I just didn't have to do that. So, it, you know, it was a blessing in disguise, even though it's debt, but, you know. Right, right. But it's, uh, it's debt. Yeah, this is the, this is the whole, I need to have a whole podcast episode <laughs> on that. <laughs> it's like it's debt, but it's good debt, you know. It's, it's kind of like an avocado. It's fat, but it's a good fat, you know. Right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Um, okay. So, sorry, one more clarification on that. So, you said 50 left to go after seven years of paying it off. Do you remember what the amount was? Probably like 80K, maybe maybe 90. Do you worry or think about money on a daily basis? Absolutely. During the pandemic, I started to day trade, you know, momentum, volatile uh, stocks. Every day I think about dollars. Not necessarily that I'm losing dollars, but just how can I make money? Like I'm visiting my parents now and they've never seen this, the stock side of me where I'm constantly looking at my computer. You know, some days are good, some days are bad. Uh, I had, I had a, a really bad day last week. Honestly, I lost two to three K within a matter of 40 minutes. They, they were like, what's wrong? And I was like, guys, just give me a second. Like, I'm not going to make it back, but like, I need a break. I need, you know, I just need to get out of my head. That's a part of being a day trader. I think about money a lot. You know? So this is a perfect segue day trading. Tell us what it is and then how you got into it. Yeah. So day trading is buying and selling of equities of companies. The type of trades that normal people who don't know much about investments is, you know, I'm going to buy 10 shares of Apple stock at $100. They're thinking long-term in five years, it's going to be worth 30% profit. I'm looking more at stocks that cost, you know, anywhere from $1 to $10, $15 
where I can get way, way, way more shares and I'm only riding them up 50%. So it's very volatile. As quickly as it goes up, it can come back down as in the example I just said about losing $2,500. But it's all like this calculated risk that you have to have in place mentally so that you can get in and get out at the same time safely. If, if I wanted to start this, because I'm a lighting designer and I'm out of work right now, how much money does somebody need to start to make it worthwhile, I guess? It's all depending on your situation, right? You know, if you got 10K to play with, cool. You got $1,000 to play with, cool. You know, but it, it, the whole idea is... God forbid, if you lost, if I'm playing with 10K, if I lost 10K right now, are you okay with that? Can you live your life if you lost 10K? If you can't, then don't, please do not put that much money into your account. The Discord group that I'm a part of, I'm currently in a challenge with myself to grow an $1,000 account to $25,000 account. Traders who are first starting out, they're willing to at least risk $1,000. So if I can turn 1000 to 25k, it kind of gets your mind like, hey, you can do this. It's not, it's not going to be a, a quick jump of uh, that fast, but you can really make gains slowly but surely. So I would say anywhere from 1k to 5k. There's a guy in the chat and a part of my group that's turned $800 into 24k since May. Chase and Bank of America barely give you one percent a year on a savings account. He just grew his account. I don't know the percentage, but he, grew, you know doubled it within a day. You know, it's just insane how that you can really make money. Like I post a lot about it on my Instagram, my gains, but also my losses, because just like taxes and stuff, this wasn't something that I learned. Like it, it just didn't seem attainable to me. I felt like it was part of my French, but I thought it was the rich white man's game. There was no way that a, a young black kid is going to is going to become a day trader. And so I really focused in on it. This day trading is shifting my mind when it comes to music and going back on tour, because it's like I sometimes make more than my weekly rate in the matter of 40 minutes. Why would I go get on a plane, put myself at danger with COVID, all that type of stuff and stress when I can sit in my PJs and drink some coffee and make good money, you know? So it's like, ugh. Yeah, okay. So I, I know nothing of these situations. I would say the person that turned $800 into 24K, is, that's amazing. But also just for future people, there was a big market crash in March and we've been going uphill massively since then. So I'm not saying that he's not talented, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but that may have played a part in that. Just so everybody knows. Exactly. <laughs> Taking a break from the episode to mention our Patreon page. If you're enjoying this show, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Patrons get the outtakes from today's interview where we talk about what Brandon is doing for young sound engineers. You'll also have access to the archive of previous outtakes and bonus content. And most importantly, you're supporting our mission to help artists talk openly about finance without fear of shame, stigma, or guilt. You can join for as little as $3 a month. And just today, Patreon has enabled annual membership. So that means if you want to make a one-time payment, you can sign up for an annual subscription and make it just one time. That's for people afraid of monthly subscriptions like I am. However you choose to join up, thank you in advance for your support. Sign up at patreon.com slash artistic finance. And now back to the show. And then uh, what is Discord? Yeah, so Discord is like this server, basically. So like within it. What's a server? (laughs) (laughs) You said it, it to me, it sounds like a chat group. Exactly. Imagine like an AOL chat group from back in the day. That's basically what it is. But you can have within it different channels. You can allow certain people to talk within certain channels. So like as I'm one of their like leadership traders. So we can post alerts that we think are going to hit and then people follow it. Could I go open a Discord account and follow you yeah. in this chat? Well, so with this channel, it's called Revolution Trading Group. They do have like a free section. If you're going to follow this, at least try the, the monthly subscription for one month, which is like 40 bucks. I, before becoming a, a leadership trader, paid for the yearly one, which is like 180 bucks. But I made that back within 20 minutes. If you can't make the 40 bucks back within a month, then don't do this. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your money. I think we have maybe like 6,000 people in the group. When you have 6,000 people looking at different tickers, we have a better scope of the market than when you're just doing it by yourself. And in the beginning, that was me. I was by myself. I didn't know what I was doing. I was buying Delta, Apple, uh, United, 
you know, and you're looking for the ticker to run from $31 to $33, but you're not taking the money out. But in this situation, like a stock last week went from $5 to $160. Could you imagine buying a thousand shares at $5 and riding it up to $100? We're talking about, you know, a 95K day. I, I didn't play it because again, it's super volatile. You know, it's as high, again, as I said, as high as it goes up, it could drop immediately, which it did a lot. It's all, you know, it's all that plan, that game, that game plan. The, what was your group again? The revolutionary traders? Uh, Revolution trading. Group. Can I put a link to that or do you not want people joining? No, 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 absolutely. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I think they'll, I think they'll love that, that they're getting some advertisements. So. Oh, okay. 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 <laughs> The, all 150 people that listen to my podcast. <laughs> You'd be surprised though. You'd be surprised what 150 people can do to sway the market. Right, know? right. Okay. So then this group, is it a bunch of people that are saying, hey, look at this stock. I'm going to buy it at $2 because I think it might go to $5. At its core, it's learning about how to trade. You can follow alerts. Like I can tell you, hey, get in at this, get in at that. Uh, if it drops to this cell, you have to really get the understanding of how to trade first before you can just jump in. Like this morning, my first official like alert for me, I get nervous playing with other people's money. I don't want people to just follow me. I I, I saw what was going to happen. And I told people to buy in at $7 and 50 cents. And then I said, it's going to hit at least 852. And then it's going to hit $9. What ended up happening was from 750, it ran to a high of 1150. It's not just me, it's other you know, leadership traders in the group, but we see what we call the breakout, where it's going to go up or down. And so people follow it or you know, people don't follow it. So, so then you said you taught yourself, because to me, this sounds like gambling, yes. 100%. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely is. You said you taught yourself everything. So like, how did you teach yourself? Did you just go online and look like, how do I make a trade? When I first started, I had no idea what I was doing. Again, I was just buying these big companies and seeing the stock go up and down, up and down. But my profit was probably like 10 bucks up, six bucks down. Like it was nothing huge gains. And then my fiance's best friend came and visited and he was a part of a trading group. And I was like, oh man, you know, like I'm, I'm into this. Let me join him. It was a Zoom call. So I was just following whatever he was doing. And I was taking loss after loss. Like it was like, what is going on? I then sat down and really started to look at how to trade, like which way works the best. And I took maybe like a week and just watched the market. I didn't buy and sell anything, but I just, okay, here's what I would buy. Did this go up? No. Okay. So that, that's not, that's not going to work for me. Okay. I bought this and it went up. Okay. Like I started to pull things together on how from different YouTubers on how I like basically what my plan of trading was, my strategy. And so then I found the Discord group, in the beginning, I was like, man, I don't want to pay 40 bucks. I think this is a scam. I think this is a scam. I don't want to give someone money. Like whatever the old saying is, you got to pay money to make money or spend money to make money. And so I tried it. Within the Discord group, there's like a class section or what we call RTG Academy, building the foundation behind trading. Not just from a technical of, okay, I'm going to buy at this and sell at this, but how much are you willing to risk? For me, I'm willing to risk five percent of my position or take a five percent loss for a 50 percent profit the stock that i called today went ran up 68 percent so you know what i mean if i held it even longer you would have made a 68 percent profit within 40 minutes but that was all a part of my learning process and it's still you know learning to today how to manage your emotions that's that's probably one of the biggest things you know you go up two thousand dollars and then you think to yourself all right i'm gonna hit the next home run and then you look back and you you've lost $3,000 and now I'm in a hole. But that's what the group is about. It's it's learning how to trade as, trade together and learning how to trade from a very, just how to trade it from a foundational standpoint and not just following alert. Because, you know, you can follow anyone. If you don't do your due diligence, I mean, you're going to follow them off a bridge, quite possibly, you know, but. Yeah. Okay. So due diligence. So anytime I listen, I'm not a day trader. I do listen to a podcast called The Investor's Podcast. And once a quarter, they do this podcast where they, everybody recommends their stock for the quarter. And then it's cool because they've been doing this for years. So of course, two years later, someone will have the pick and they'll be like, yeah, this was my pick last time. And boy, did I lose a lot of money. Right. right. <laughs> so anyway, anytime you go to learn about trading, people say, do your due diligence. And you said that. So what do you consider doing your due diligence? Does it just mean going to look for the company and seeing, oh, they exist? It, it changes for every person. 
the things that we look at as a group is what we call trends. So there's normally a weekly trend with these types of stocks. Sometimes it's, you know, those stocks that we call them top gainers on a list and every, every, you know, Robinhood, Weeble, every brokerage has it, but you'll see who made the biggest moves of the day or from the, from the previous day. That's where you'll make your money at. My due diligence is looking at what's, what's maybe number one on the list, but let's look at what's number seven on the list that's going to come up and make to number two. So, you know, it's going to work its way up slowly, but surely it's going to make its way up. And then I look at previous years of where it hit. That's what we call resistance. So as it goes up, it hits a resistance point and then it normally bounces back down. I want to know where it hits that point every single time. And that normally tells you where there are buyers at from previous times that are looking to looking to break out even, looking to make profit. Looking at the charts and reading that, it's so foreign. It's just like it's just like looking at a soundboard. When I first did it the first time, it doesn't make sense. But when you sit there and actually watch stocks and watch tickers move, you see it. The stock I call today, I saw it breaking out. I saw it going higher. I didn't see it going that high, but you know, you really see this stuff. Okay. I'm trying to clear my muddied brain here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Um, telling you, a lot of people get confused. It's very... Yeah. So I'm just wondering, you know, if I, if tomorrow I'm going to wake up and be like, all right, I'm going to follow Brandon Blackwell and I'm going to, I'm going to learn how to do this. (laughs) I'm going to summarize what I think you said. There'll be the trend for the week. So there'll be seven stocks that are part of this trend. Are those seven stocks related? Like, are they all like energy stocks? Like, is that how the trend works for the week? I I like how you said energy. So that may not be part of the trend, but that could start what we call a rally. Let's put oil companies into that. So like the oil, oil's down like crazy since COVID. So it means that it's oversold and it has to rally back. Once one ticker jumps up like 100 to 150%, maybe the next day, another ticker pops up 60%. 50%. And that's 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 a part of the trend. Mondays are usually the beginning of the trend. And, and the, the whole idea is that you have to recognize what that trend is, see if it continues from Tuesday to Thursday. And then normally by Friday, it's a new trend or, or just something, you know. By Friday, people are taking profit for the weekend. They don't want to give anything back. Fridays are kind of just all over the place. But All right. Here's what I know about trading. The trend is your friend. Yes. Is that true? It is. <laughs> a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of people that, not, not necessarily in our group, but what we call, uh, what is it, retail traders, they think that the trend is still continuing. And it's like, no. Once the trend is done, it's done. We'll forget about a ticker for another three months. There's no point of coming back to revisit it. Like the ticker that 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 ran last week from five to 160, that's a 2,600 percent ticker. There are people who bought in 140 dollars, and by the end of that day, it dropped back down to 60. That means that trend is done. There's no point of even looking at it anymore. People are thinking long term, but it's it's a waste at that point. Okay, okay. So you're a day trader. So you don't actually care about the underlying value of the company because you're just buying it in the morning and selling it the next day? Yeah, I mean, all I care is about price action. How is it moving? I buy and sell maybe in, in a minute. Sometimes we, sometimes we do swing trades if we know that they have earnings report in two weeks. I'll buy then. And then usually what happens is the stock will go up a little bit into the earnings report. And then when the earnings report drops or releases, the stock will tank. So that's what we call a momentum swing trade. I'm just going to ride it up. All I want is 15%, 20%. I don't want 100%. You know, you can't, you can't really swing that stock like Apple. Apple's not going to go up 10% in a year, 40% in a year. So, so that's why it's not, it's gambling, but it's very calculated. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. As much as I'm saying investing is different than day trading, it's not really. <laughs> right. Uh, because investing in my mind is also gambling because Warren Buffett or people will say you have to buy a company that has value, has intrinsic value so that if it goes bankrupt or something, it can sell the real estate or it can sell the technology, the patents or whatever. Sell the assets. But Mm -hmm. the reality Mm -hmm. is if a company goes bankrupt, it's going bankrupt and you're not going to get your- You're not getting anything. Unless you're like a real investor, which of course none of us are. Right. A lot of my buddies, they ask me, well, the, the company, looking at the earnings report, the company's not making money. I really don't care about any of that. I'm not looking to hold these stocks for years. I'm looking to get in and get out. Not to mention there's, uh, well, there's a podcast. Why do I keep recommending all these other podcasts? <laughs> <laughs> there's a podcast called Masters of Scale. He's the founder of LinkedIn, and he's all about 
scaling, like you start a company and you just scale. So in the first like 10 years of any company now, any tech company for sure, nobody's making money. It's all about, we expect in the long term to make money and to sell out, blah, blah, blah. but in the 10 years, so like, like is Google making money? Is Apple making, well, they are. Probably, <laughs> yeah, those, those companies are. But, but it's like Amazon, they don't pay taxes. Are they making money? Absolutely. But according to their profit loss sheet, no, they're losing money because they're spending so much. That was a long-winded version of saying, I don't, I don't even know what I was saying. Well, no, you kind of, you kind of led to something that what we, we talk about in the group is you buy the hype and sell the news. You know, people are holding into like the, the, the whole thing with the, the, the vaccine and stuff. Oh my God, when it comes out with the vaccine news that the stock's going to go even higher. I think it's already, it's already built into the price. It's already ran up. You, you, you've missed it at this point. I could be wrong. It could skyrocket, but looking at past trends, it's not going to happen that way. Um, okay. So revisiting a question I already asked. So you said you probably need like a thousand dollars to start getting in and making money. Scenario here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I, if I took a hundred dollars I paid $40 for a month of Discord and joined your group. And I just say I just stalked you and followed you. <laughs> yeah. Do you think it would be worth it for a month of me doing that? $100 is a little, that's a little tough. So you had $100 total. So you're really playing with 60. If the stock costs five bucks, you can only buy 10 shares. You won't really see the... It's not enough to make my $40 monthly subscription. No, no, yeah, yeah, no. You, you would need a little bit more. The reason why I say $1,000 is because you can diversify where you put that money. You could put, let's say, $500 into something that's a momentum swing, where in a couple of weeks, you're going to sell for a profit. And then you can take the rest of the 500 to day trade, do one day trade, to, to get 20% out of a trade. The $100 is a little tough, but it could happen. It, it really could. When you started, wait, did you start all this in March in the pandemic? No, I, was, I started basically, I started maybe April. Okay. How long from when, I guess you said, I'm going to try this to when you actually put money on a trade? Probably immediately. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, probably. So if I were to start tomorrow, yeah. I could start trading or should I start researching like, like, like if tonight I was like, okay, let me research all this and see and open up an account with Robinhood or whatever. You, you could start trading tomorrow or you can open the account and put money in it and don't, it won't go anywhere. It just sit there. But because you can play with what they call paper money, which, you know, is fake, fake money. But I tell people, if you're going to really learn how to trade, trade one share of a stock so that at least when you lose, you feel something. It won't be a $10. Like if you buy a stock that costs $5 and it drops, it would have to drop to zero to lose the whole $5. You will lose cents, if that makes sense. Yeah. C-E-N-T-S, you know. You will Um, gain sense and sensibility. You will gain sense, (laughs) yes. (laughs) Because the whole paper trading, I mean, people get excited, you know. They'll they'll create this paper trade account with a million dollars. Well, reality, you don't have a million dollars of your own money. So you're not going to trade that way. You're going to think you're invincible. And then when you make that first real trade, oh, you're going you're gonna to totally lose it. <laughs> been, been there and done that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I'm going to put a link to Revolution Trading Group. But if that group ever becomes not a good group, I will change the link to whatever your new group is. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> so people listening from 10 years from now, when Brandon is a billionaire <laughs> trader, a link to his trading group will be in our show notes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So when live events come back, are you going to keep doing this? Absolutely. It's, I love I love music. I love what we do. It's going to make it difficult for me to go back to work. When you pull in your weekly tour rate within the day, is it worth it? But I will go back. Hopefully, I will go back to work. And there's still downtime within the day. You know, like I normally, depending on what coast I'm on, like so on, on the East Coast right now, I wake up at uh, 6.30 a.m. Technically, if I'm on tour, 6.30 a.m., I could still wake up and trade before having to start work. So yeah, I, I, I will most likely continue to trade um, just with smaller numbers because at that point I have my income. Now I'm just playing. I just, I just want extra at this point. You know? Right. And also because I'm a cautious individual, what is the most amount of money you would put on a trade in your trading account 
do you have any rules for yourself? Like I'll, I'll only put 10% of my thing or will you, would you ever put like a hundred percent of your stuff on one of your trades? No, I wouldn't put a hundred percent. Like right now I, I'm in a, a swing trade. The stock is supposed to go up at least a hundred percent. So I have about 65 to 70% of my account in that one trade. And then the other 30%, I day trade with. I assume that this money that you are using to day trade is money that you've said, okay, I'm willing to lose this amount of money. This is unrelated to my savings, unrelated to my retirement account. If I lose it, it's going to suck, but it's a risk. Oh, and another thing I should say, which I don't know if I need to say, but it seems like something I should say, neither one of us is professional traders or advice givers or anything. And we're not recommending any stocks. We're not recommending you do anything with your money. Exactly. We're just (laughs) chatting about this. I I mean, even me alerting that alert I did today, it, it makes me cringe because what happens if it doesn't work and someone loses whatever, whatever is a lot to them, it It sucks. Thank God I hit it. <laughs> Thank God I hit it even more than it was supposed to. But, you know, it's nerve wracking, especially uh, the blind following the blind. Some people just follow and don't even realize why they're following. You. Right, right, right. That would be me. I would probably be. <laughs> 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 but, yeah, because this all sounds cool to me. I also I'm not going to go figure out the trend. Right, exactly. I, I don't I don't foresee me doing that. So I once again not recommending this because everybody says don't do this, but I would I would just like follow you. you follow. Be like, what's he doing? But I would also know that you're gonna miss. You're not gonna make everyone. Yeah, I'm not gonna hit everyone. And I don't, you know, none of us hit everyone. If we were, we'd be millionaires. Exactly. Because Warren Buffett, most famous investor of all time, didn't buy into Apple until it was it, w- it was never too late because he's dealing with billions of dollars. But the, the profit that he missed out on. Yeah. And he said that. He missed out on millions of dollars. Yeah. Billions, <laughs> maybe even trillions. Billions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At that point. Yeah. So I'm going to switch gears now to Twitch. Twitch is something else that you've been doing to make money, question mark? That is the goal? That's the goal. Yeah, it was one of those things where it was like, I had all the computers, I had all the equipment to record. Um, In Seattle, the internet service is crazy fast. I think I have a, a decent personality that people would, would like to watch. Oh, oh, time out, time out. Yeah. I only know what Twitch is because on the podcasts I listen to, people say, oh, I'm going to be playing some game over on Twitch. Yes. What is Twitch? Okay, so Twitch is a streaming service just like Netflix or Hulu, but as a streamer, we can we can stream our own content to the website so that viewers can log in and watch it. It's basically like television. Someone's watching me play video games. You can then pull people in, you know, from the text chat who want to join you and play at your team. Um, I mostly play Call of Duty, but that's kind of how it works out. So can you play, like, could you play with somebody else? Like, could you and I play on Twitch and have people watch us? No, no, you could. They would see my, you know, my game. But I could be one of your players? But you could be on my team, yeah. Would people be able to hear me? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, okay. That's a part of my, uh, <laughs> that's like the funny banter that happens in between games or like after the game ends and if a person loses or, you know, if a person wins, they either... Can I curse on this? They talk shit. I don't know if I can say yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, okay. absolutely. Yeah, they talk absolutely. shit or, or they're upset and they're, they're raging. It's the most funniest thing. Some of those recordings of people getting upset, like, actually go viral. People like to see people upset <laughs> over a video game. Yeah. I mean, I've never gone on Twitch, but I have watched YouTube of people playing video games. And that's where it started from. When I was in college, I was a pretty good video game player. Like, I told my parents I wanted to become a professional gamer. Once this COVID happened, it was like, I got everything I need to kind of start it back up. My channel hasn't been used in forever, but I got a couple of you know followers. Let's see if I can get this going again. Unfortunately, stock then took over everything and I've put this on the back burner, but the stock stuff is kind of taken, taken priority because I'm seeing the instant return. With Twitch and YouTube, you have to build up to like thousands and thousands of subscribers to see any type of return. And even even at like 10,000 10, subscribers, you're not getting real money. Well, with this, I'm pulling in a, you know, a decent amount of money. I'd rather do this <laughs> and do the other thing as a hobby. Yeah. yeah, yeah. For this podcast, I have a Patreon. 
patreon.com slash artistic finance. That is my only way that I can monetize this podcast. I have to have a thousand downloads per episode. Then they'll start running ads. In order to get any money off of those ads, I have to have 10,000 downloads. Um, and the same thing with YouTube. Like I have 73 subscribers, but I need a thousand just in order for them to start running ads. So the Patreon is really the only way people can come find you and support you. And that's remember when we were talking about that Kev on stage, he has a Patreon too. And I follow that, you know, as another way to get back. Right, right. You know, to the co- to the content. Ex- exactly, exactly. So you're a sound engineer, COVID hit, canceled all live events. You started with Twitch and then you went into day trading. And of these two things, I would say we would say day trading is like, that's where to focus. Yeah, that's where I'm at right now. All right. So now unrelated to Twitch or investing, if money was not an issue, what would you do with your life? In my industry, you know, just to be blanket, I, I didn't know that black people existed from, from a technical standpoint. And I still struggle with that today. Uh, you know, very far and few people of color at, at, at high levels of, of, of touring. I would just want to get that out to young children that you don't need to be an artist. You don't need to be the person on the stage. You don't have to be, you know, the person in the video smoking with the artist singing or rapping or, or, or for females, you don't have to be the video girls dancing. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a career and people make really good money with it, but people in the technical world do exist. And I feel like that needs to be publicized to children. Uh, my fiance is very, she's on me a lot in regards to wanting to give back to the children and letting them know, you know, what a sound engineer is. Or for, I have a really good female friend who's a lighting designer. Yes, you can be a black female lighting designer on a tour. And I just wish that was out there more to students. Kids who bang on the desk or kids just like me who don't really realize what they have right in front of them or what that can, what that can start to build for your future. Everybody wants to get rich and become an athlete or a rapper or a singer. And it's like, no, you can, you can still get rich or make decent money or make a good living behind the scenes. That would probably be the one of the one of the biggest things, you know, maybe start a school or something in regards to that. What financial advice would you give to yourself back when you started out? Or would you give somebody else that's becoming a sound engineer right now? Save all your per diem, eat catering, you know, get to go place from catering. I mean, just I looked at per diem as just play money, throw it away, you know. But there are some guys that I've toured with that told me. I mean, these are guys that have been touring for years, like since the 80s and 90s. But they told me that they paid off their house with per diem. I mean, back in the day, it was different times. Per diems were higher. Music uh, industry was a little bit different. But for, to make that statement, I was like, whoa, like this, is, this isn't just money that I take to CVS and buy some candy with. This is actually like, this is life-changing money when you save it up over time. So that probably the number one thing is like save your per diem while you're on tour. You make you make good money already, so why not just make even more money? Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's great advice. <laughs> this person, he's a big stage manager, so I would assume he spends you know ninety percent of your his year on the road. Let's say at at thirty five dollars, which now is kind of like base per diem. That's good money. And then compound interest. I'll just say. I'll take it one step farther and not only, well, save the per diem, but also invest it. Invest it, yeah. It's tax-free money, you know? It's like you might as well use it for something that's good. Yeah, and the sooner you can start, even if it's, you know, even if you spend half of it, but invest the other half, and you're going to set yourself up pretty well. Um, do you think right now is a good time for students to be studying sound engineering? That's an interesting question. I struggle with that. Uh, so my fiance wants me to write a book, um, and I'm, I'm in the process of it. Uh, about sound engineering for children. It's very difficult to to preach or to to tell people like this is a cool industry when I mean look at it it's you know one day you're working the next day it's you know back to stocks the rug is pulled right from underneath you and everything is halted. So it's kind of difficult to preach to to students to be a sound engineer. I would say if I had a son or a daughter right now I probably wouldn't want them to be a sound engineer. It's good when it's good the Right now, it's a little, it's a little rough. You know, there's a lot of people that weren't as fortunate as I was with saving money. Um, I know production managers who normally live in multi-million-dollar houses in California, now living with their their family. That's a complete 180 turn, just because they weren't good with money. And and for me to tell someone young that hey, this is a good industry to join, yeah, 
it is, but you know, again, there has to be this asterisk next to it, you know. Again, it's that risk versus re- reward with torrent. I mean, with with stocks, you know, what are you willing to risk? Um, I will say that a lot of the older roadies, as you would call them, they're struggling with this. You know, they've been doing this for thirty plus years. What are you going to do now? Not to get too political, but it's a feeling of being let down by your government. We didn't do anything to to cause this. Our industry brings in billions of dollars into the uh, into the music industry or whatever of the United States. It's like we are a massive part of it. Just just as just as airlines and movie theaters and restaurants, we play a major part in the economy. People don't realize that. You know, as the tour comes through, you know, we we, we stay in hotels. So that also, what that's not staying there, that also affects all the businesses around hotels that are looking or you know looking for our business or you know people. Let's let's not even talk about music. Let's talk about like conferences. You know, Amazon or Microsoft throws a conference in a city that's bringing thousands of people into a city which then brings thousands of dollars into hotels and the restaurants around the hotels and then the people flying into the hotels it's like the taxi cabs like you don't realize what's taken away or what's been lost when live events is taken away it doesn't just affect us it affects I mean, it's a spread out, you know. And that that brings a point that our last guest, Andrew Sotomayor, in episode 34, he kept saying, you have to know your worth. The arts industry generates billions of dollars. You have to be paid for what you're worth. Like, it's it's not okay to take low-paying jobs. Yeah, that's a fear of mine that because these artists have taken a hit, that they're going to pass it down to us and be like, well, you now need to charge. We can only pay you this amount of money. Just because the COVID happened doesn't mean that my worth has gone down. That's not the truth at all. And so that's why the whole trading stocks is making it more difficult for me. Because if someone says that to me, you know, if someone doesn't want to give me what I know I'm worth, it's fine with me because I'll just stay home and trade stocks and I'll, you know, I'll make that money. It's fine. You know, uh, that's, a, that's a big fear, not just of mine, but a lot of people in the industry. Artists are now going to start lowballing uh, their crew. But I get it. You know, from a business standpoint, it does make sense. I understand that fear, but I I actually think there's going to be people like you that might go to stock trade and then that leaves open a job for somebody else. Yeah. In a way, I sort of think there's going to be work for everybody. Yeah, I think I think so. Yeah. And I and I also think with the Black Lives Matter movement, I feel like people are fighting more for their worth. Because you know, if you fight for any marginalized group, you're gaining for every like if they win, if 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 good things happen, good things happen for everybody. And so I feel like with that movement, at least in theater, there's a movement for we can't be having our rehearsal days be so long. We we all need to have lives. We can't, you know, you're you're limiting who can come into the industry by only letting privileged people in because they're the they're the ones that can work all day or don't have the obligations or the family things or so it's like how do we make it equitable for everybody and so i i have that hope that over the next 10 years we as an industry we get a little more family friendly or (laughs) it's just we have to look out for everyone as a whole not just you know and, and it starts from the top it starts with to me i think it starts with the artists they have the leverage to say oh i'm taken care of how do I make sure the people that don't have an option, like how do I make sure the Uber drivers who can't control anything, how do we make sure they live a good life? I'm saying that everyone has to be a millionaire. Everyone should be able to go to the hospital. Come on. Everyone should be able to live their life. Everyone doesn't have to be a billionaire, but everyone should have some type of money, some type of support. You know? um, okay. So what can you and I do ourselves to stress the importance of finance and savings to other people in the arts industry. If anything like COVID ever happened again, do you want to be prepared for it? A lot of people were caught off guard. It is a pandemic, so <laughs> rightfully so that it's, people are going to be caught off guard. It's all about your preparedness for it. I think you should always be ready in case it does happen. That's a good point. COVID hit us and you have been fine. You and I were similar ages. We've been through COVID, or we are currently in COVID. We've been through the 2008 financial crisis. We've been through the 2001 terrorist attack, that recession. It seems like every 10 years, there's some sort of economic collapse. There's a, it's, like, it's almost like there's an economic cycle that keeps happening. Yeah. It's very true, though. <laughs> in a way, COVID took us all off guard. But the reality is, COVID didn't take us off guard. We knew it would happen. We knew something would happen. You can be an artist and work in an industry 
plan for your future, have an emergency fund, save for retirement. And even if you need that money before you get to retirement, okay, well, you have it. You can work in the industry and know that these things are going to happen. If you're like Brandon, you'll prepare for them and you'll survive them. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I never thought anything like this would ever happen. That's not why I saved money. I just saved money because I wanted to buy a house. But then it's just that money got trans- put into to, to live during this time. And, you know, that's what a savings is for. It's for when you are down and out, when you need it. Final question. Where can people find out more about you? So I'm on Instagram, Facebook. Uh, I also have a website, brandonblackwell.com. You know, if I don't get back to you, within a couple of days, I'll get back to you for sure. But okay, Brandon, thank you so much for chatting with us. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I appreciate the, the invitation. That was our interview with Brandon Blackwell. My takeaways were day trading is something that you can do. There are other people doing it. You can watch and you can learn. Be wise about it and know you'll suffer losses. But with time and dedication, it is a realistic and achievable goal. Twitch. We mention it even though Brandon hasn't dedicated himself to monetizing it. That's important to note, because when live events shut down, he tried Twitch. It got a little traction, but then he tried day trading, and that got a lot of traction. You can try new things, and not everything is going to work for you. Keep trying things until you find your niche. Recessions and depressions will happen, so make sure you save in preparation. Just because you work in arts and events doesn't mean you can be careless with your finances. Find the additional content from this episode over at Patreon, where you can support the show for as little as $3 a month. Do that at patreon.com slash artisticfinance. Another way you can support me is by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube, or by leaving a comment on social media and tagging me on Instagram and Facebook at artisticfinance, and on Twitter at Ethan Stimel. That's it for today. Until next time, break a leg. Thank you for listening to Artistic Finance. Find more information on our website, artisticfinance.com. Please subscribe to our podcast and please leave a rating and review. Artistic Finance is produced in New York City by Nicole and Ethan Stimel. Producing consultant Anne Nygren-Doherty. Graphics and website by Josh Cutler. Music by Chong Liu.